Thank you for visiting the openword.org, where you can find a verse-by-verse exposition of almost the entire Holy Bible and other theological resources. Welcome to the next part of the series from Alan Schaefer. open in prayer. Father, thanks for this night. And as we study your word, I pray that you give us understanding and insight. And um, we thank you for this opportunity to be here to to be exposed, Father, to what you would have us to understand. We just thank you for it. And thank you for this time. In Christ's name, amen. amen. All right. <laughs> this is going to be a constant thing tonight. So you're just going to have to try not to laugh too loud. This is not alcohol. This is this is IBC root beer. All right. So this is uh, now I won't even try to. Anyways, let's try. Let's see how far we can get here. We got to get through chapter seven, eight, and nine, and possibly ten, ten tonight at least. Yeah. Didn't scare me enough. I would have got rid of these hiccups. Yeah. You know, even woo. Probably got rid of my hiccups. Maybe Bart will do that when he comes in. Um. We're looking at 1 Corinthians um, 7, and the, the whole theme of 1 Corinthians 7, basically, is Paul is answering the question that the Corinthian believers have about remarriage. Okay? The issue is really about remarriage. Now, why is that such an issue? And maybe I should have framed the background of this a little bit um, last time before we actually started going through the chapter. But depending on what church you land in, or what... You know, like what uh, denominational background you may come from or something like that. One of the big uh, arguments that people have is this whole idea of divorce and remarriage. Okay? And uh, the issue is over who who can be divorced. And if you're divorced, who can be remarried? All right? And there, there are actually churches that, um, this is a pretty big deal to them. And if you go in there and you're not of the right marital status, you might as well just leave and go somewhere else. Um, I know a couple of churches in the area that just, you know, if you go in there and you say you're divorced, you know, they'll stamp a big D on your head and that's the end of it, you know. You can sit in the back corner maybe or something like that. But the whole question is, number one, is what makes or what what um, what, what is a valid divorce? Divorce. And then the second thing is, if you divorced, what about this whole concept of remarriage? Okay. If you're divorced, can you be remarried? And that's a real question. There are some people that would say, all right, you can be divorced. I mean, the Bible allows that. But if you're divorced, you can never be remarried again. You've got to remain single the rest of your life. You might as well just, you know, um, you're stuck. All right. And then there's all the combinations in between. You know, what if you get divorced and then your husband marries or your ex, I should say your ex marries again. Are you now free to remarry? And some say yes, some say no, some say maybe. I mean, it's all over the map. And Paul's trying to answer this. And the reason he's trying to answer this is because the state of marriage in those days was probably about as bad as it is today, especially in the Corinthian time. Um and uh, immorality was rampant. Um, you know, the Greeks taught that basically you marry a wife to bear leg- legitimate children and you have mistresses for your sexual pleasure, basically. Um, so it's sort of like what you see today. <laughs> um, it's not much different. Um, 
so the state of marriage is pretty bad in those days. And of course, now you've got people who are being born again in the <clears throat> church. They're coming to know the Lord. Pray that I'll get rid of these hiccups. <laughs> and that's what she told me to do. Hold my breath, you know. And uh, they come into the church and the question is, what do you do? I mean, here I am. I'm, you know, I'm a man. I come into the church. I, 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 I'm saved and my wife isn't. What do I do? Or I'm a wife and um, I come to know the Lord. My husband's not a Christian. What do I do? Um, and what do you do if you're a slave and you're assigned a wife, or you're assigned a husband? What do you do then? And, and then the master says, no, I don't want you with that one. I want you with another one. What do you do? Um, all kinds of issues back then. And so Paul's trying to sort this out, basically. And what he basically has said is he, he set up the primary the, the the big picture item here is that if you're single, stay that way. That's best. And why is that best? That's best for the time you're in. Okay. He's not saying that's the best thing. If you're married, you're taking the second best route. He's just saying because of the time, because of the issues facing the church, if you're single, there are certain freedoms that you will have as a single person that you don't have as a married person. And that's just that's just a given, basically. Um, but he says, you know, if, if that's not something that God has designed for you, it's better to marry than to burn. You know, it's better to get married than to deal with your passions that you can't control. So in that case, Paul says, go ahead and marry. That's that's fine. In fact, who designed marriage? God did. Right. At the very beginning, God designed marriage. So there's nothing wrong with that. Um, <clears throat> but it says here in verse 8, and this is where we sort of left off last week. Verse 8, But I say to the unmarried and to the widows, it is good for them if they remain even as I am. But they cannot exercise self-control, let them marry, for it is very better to mar marry than to burn with passion. So we got a couple of groups of people here. Okay? We got to define them. We got the unmarried. Okay? And we have the unmarried here, and then we have the widows, right? Widows or widowers. Okay? Ers. And then later on, he's going to bring in the virgins. Okay? That seems to be a separate group of people. So if you're just doing your thinking, what would you, what would you, uh, what would you ascribe or what, how would you define those three categories? Unmarried. You were and you're not. All right. And the and the class. There's two subclasses of that, right? There are the divorced subclass, right? Well, no. There's just one. There's the divorced subclass. They're the ones that are divorced. They were married. Now they're divorced. And then you have the widowers. They were married. Now their spouse is dead. Then you've got the virgins who are never married. Okay. So Paul's going to talk to these three classes of people. And he's going to, when we're done, we're going to be able to make, fill out this little matrix here that says in, in, in this text, is it a valid divorce? If so, is remarriage allowed? Now, one, one of the things, too, I think that, um, that needs to be sort of given here is an axiomatic truth, I think, and I think you make the case for it, is if your divorce is valid, Remarriage is an option. 
Okay, if your divorce is valid, if it was a valid, biblically allowed, I shouldn't say sanctioned, right? But an allowed divorce, then remarriage is an option. If it was not a biblical divorce, remarriage is not an option. All right, and we'll we'll sort that through as we come down through the text here. All right. So we're saying these are the rules that apply to Christians today. Yes. This is Paul is saying, here are the rules. Basically, he's given them a set here. Here's some rules that, you know, that um, that apply today. Now, I'm going to throw a monkey wrench in at the end and have you think about another case that comes up um, and, get, and see how you think about it. Um, and I can give you the valid MacArthur biblically sanctioned answer to that. I'm kidding. Um <laughs> Because somebody asked him this. Oh, by the way, there's another group here, right? We forgot them. The Mary group. Okay? Forgot about them. All right? So, Paul's going to first talk here in verse 9 and 10 to the married. Now, to the married, I command, yet not I, but the Lord. Okay, so if you're married, here's the question. The question you're asking is, what makes a valid divorce? And if I'm divorced, can I remarry? That's basically what they're asking Paul. So Paul, first of all, he, he, he starts with the married folks. And he says, I'm going, to tell, I'm going to give you a command, not I, but the Lord. Now, what does he mean by not I, but the Lord? Not it's not his opinion, but also, where, why is he saying that? Because Christ said it. All right. Paul's saying, I'm not saying this, this is what Christ taught back in Matthew 19. Remember when the Pharisees came and says, is it valid for a man to divorce his wife for any reason? And Paul, and not Paul, but Christ gives them the answer. No, that's not the way God originally designed it. But because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed it. But it's not part of God's original design and perfect plan. So I'm going to, I'm saying this, this is not me, this is the Lord who said this in Matthew 18, which is a watershed passage on this. A wife is not to depart from her husband, but even if she does depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband, and a husband is not to divorce his wife. So what, for the married people in the church, two Christians that are married in the church, what is God's command to them? Stay married. You stay married. Amen. If you divorce, what, what is, what's the state you both need to remain in? Stay unmarried. Stay unmarried. You cannot remarry. Um, or you can be reconciled again. Okay? So if you're two Christian people and you decide to divorce or separate, you've got to remain unmarried or you've got to reconcile. All right? That's your option as Christians. Okay? Now, from that general thing, there's all kinds of ways we muck that up, isn't it? All right. Um, you know, what do you do in the case of spousal abuse where the wife's getting beat up every night by her husband? We're going to answer that later. Think about it. Think how you would answer that question. You're a pastor or for you women, you, you've got a friend who comes over and says, my wife, my, yeah, my wife, my husband is beating me. She's black and blue. What do I do? So we'll answer that in a little bit.
But think about that. We'll come back to that question before we go to chapter eight. Okay. But the, but the bottom line here is if you're married, you stay married. If you divorce, you got to remain unmarried or be reconciled. You can't remarry. So, all right. So for the married, is divorce allowed? No. No, it's not. And if you do get divorced, what happens? You have to remain unmarried, right? So you can't, you cannot remarry. I've had examples of a lady who said she divorced her, her husband divorced her. This happened really here in this church. Her husband divorced her and um, he decided he wanted to get remarried to somebody in the Sunday school class. Well, I basically said, can't do that. Oh, we have a right to do it. I said, can't do that. Why did you divorce her? I just got tired of living with a woman. I said, well, the Bible says you can't get remarried. So they got mad and left the church and went somewhere else and got married. All right. That's usually the way it works. Um, look, folks, this is not Paul saying, look, this is not my opinion. This is God's command. And furthermore, what does God say? If you do not remain unmarried, what do you do? You, you commit adultery. And, and, and this, is, this is an interesting thing here. He tells the man that you got to understand the cultural connotation. In, in our culture, this is a little different. I got rid of my I got rid of my hiccups before you showed up, Bart. You know, this is a cultural thing. In this culture, pretty much men divorcing women or women divorcing men is about fifty-fifty, or you know, in the legal system at least, it's that way. Back then, it didn't work that way. The wife had no real legal rights to divorce her husband. She could leave him. She couldn't really divorce him. The man initiated the divorce in that society. And remember what Christ says, if you divorce your wife, what's the natural something that she's going to do? And why? She has to. She has to. Um, women in those days didn't were not, by and large, in the workforce. They did not have... You know, they did not have career women in those days. Their career was their home. If she didn't have a husband to care for, she was destitute. And economically, she would be forced to remarry. And Christ is saying, if you divorce your wife, forcing her to remarry, you are causing her to commit adultery. Now, is she committing adultery? Yes. Yes, she is. But there's a mitigating factor. You're forcing her into that. By doing that. And whoever marries a divorced woman, he himself is committing adultery. All right. So, you know, just think of how many adulterers you run around, run into every day. Um, so this is this is this is the first one. This takes care of the first one. And then said, but to the rest, I not the Lord say. So I'm going to deal with the rest of the questions. I'm not dealing with the married folks. I'm going to deal with the unmarried, the virgins, and the widows. Do you see what he's, what, what's going there? Paul's not saying, look, this is my opinion. Because that's the way people weed a lot of this. You know, well, I, Paul's just spouting his opinion. We can just ignore these next few verses here, you know. But the rest I not the Lord say, if any brother has a wife who does not believe and she is willing to live with him, let him not divorce her. And if a woman who has a husband who does not believe he's willing to live with her, let her not divorce him. 
So if you've got a mixed marriage where one's a believer, one's an unbeliever, what is God's plan? Stay together. Stay together. Stay together. And why is that? Well, because there's a sanctifying. What's sanctifying there mean? Does it mean in the salvific sense of sanctifying someone? There's some blessing rubbing off. You know, it's like Joseph, when he's in Potiphar's house, Potiphar, you know, he he benefited by having a Christian around. Not a Christian, but a believer. He benefited by having Joseph there. All right. The point is, if you've got a mixed marriage, stay with her. Stay with your wife. Stay with your husband. If if they're willing to live with you and if they put up with your your religion and that, they do it. And not only that, but your children now have what? A sanctifying influence. It's all about influence, folks. See, <clears throat> we as Christians, we need to understand our, our, the power we have is just and is influence. You can't change people. But you can influence them. That's what Peter is saying. Remember in 1 Peter 3, where it tells the wife, now for Pete's sake, don't nag your husband into the kingdom. If you want him to, if you want him to believe, be the best wife you can be, and he's going to see the difference and be drawn to that. And by the way, husbands, you treat your wives the same way. You treat them with respect. Um, anybody know Tony Evans? Yeah, old Tony. Yeah, he he was talking about his dad who became a Christian. I don't know if you knew this. His uh, he, he came from a pretty rough family, and uh, his dad, mom used to, you know, pretty wild, I guess. And his dad became a believer. And his mom, he she liked to go ballistic. She couldn't stand it. She treated his dad like dirt. I mean, he said they she used to fight and scream and yell and, I mean, just made his life miserable. And he he you know he. What he had to do, finally, he had to get up at 3 o'clock in the morning to go down and read his Bible, because that's the only time he could read it without getting attacked by her. And he said he did that for months, where his mom just really... Then he said one day, his dad was there, and his, his mom went down and asked him, he says, I've tried everything to get you out. What's different about you? And she became a Christian, you know, by the influence of, you know, his actions, you know, we got we got to we got to learn to practice that a little bit. Patience towards people, and what Paul is telling them is, if you're in a marriage and you're you have an unbelieving spouse, stay with them. Do not initiate a divorce, and I would say by this, do not do actions that would drive them away. All right, uh, unless it's a violation of a principle. All right. Um, but do not do actions that would drive them away from you. Rather, treat them. You should treat them better. You know, the best you can do, you know, because God has called us to peace. But he says here in verse 15, if they depart, let them go. They have to initiate the leaving. If the unbeliever departs, let them go. God's not called you into bondage in such cases. Verse 16, for how do you know, wife, whether you will not save your husband? How do you know, a husband, whether you will not save your wife? How do you know you're not going to be the influence to bring them to the Lord? So can we fill out some more of this? 
same answer. Well, this is this is the mixed. But if they depart, what category do you fall into now? You fall in the unmarried part. Okay. So if you fall in the unmarried part, an unbelieving spouse leaves you. You become divorced. Is it allowed? Yes, because Paul just said it. You can't initiate it, but if it happens, okay, now, can you remarry? No. Boy, she's a great legalist. I love you. Know, I'm a good legalist. What's it say? You're not under bondage in such cases. Can you remarry? No. Why can't you remarry? Because you got a divorce. And you're not supposed to be remarried. If, if he just left you. This is a case. This is a special case. I know. But he left Paul, is saying, Paul is saying this is, this is what Christ said. These are two believers. You've now got a case where you've got a believer and an unbeliever in a marriage. One walks out. One abandons the believing spouse. Well, you probably knew that when you married. They may, you may have become a Christian after they were married. That's the implication here. So he left you. But you're still not supposed to marry. You're supposed to wait till you can reconcile. Well, Paul says you can. Paul says you can. Just like adultery. Paul says you can. He says you're not under bondage in such cases, because later on he's going to say the unmarried and widows, it's better that they remain as they are, but if they can't, they can be remarried. So if the unmarried can become remarried validly, What's a valid way to become unmarried? The valid way of becoming unmarried is you have an unbelieving spouse leave you. Well, there's an out for every marriage. I'm not disagreeing with that answer, but what they're saying, I'm not going to disagree with Christ, but what they're saying is that every time, anytime you have a divorce in a Christian home, the one they're going to claim that this person who causes divorce was an unbeliever to begin with. Um, you have to make that case. <laughs> that's that's the legal mind coming out. You always got yeah. That's the legal mind. Now Bart would have you just fill out some worksheet, you know, that comes down at the bottom. You got to figure out whether you can take the deduction or not, you know. But the whole point there, Paul is saying, if an unbelieving spouse leaves, let him go. You're not under bondage. And later on, he makes the case that the unmarried and virgins can do what? Marry. So how do you become an unmarried person? Validly in this text, in this context, how do you become an, a validly unmarried person? An unbelieving spouse leaves. That's that's what it's talking about. You got to put it within this context. You don't like what Paul says. You take it up with him. All right. And then it says here um, in verse 17, the other thing here is sort of, but as God has distributed each one as the Lord has called each one, so let him walk. And so I ordain in all the churches, was anyone called while circumcised, let him not become uncircumcised. Was anyone called while uncircumcised, let him not become circumcised. What's the calling here? What do you mean when he says called? Yeah, that's a good Calvinistic five-point term, right? Very good one. You are called... There's the there's the there's a general call, right? Whosoever will may come. Mm -hmm. Then what's the effectual call? You come, you're in, right? 
There comes a point in all of our lives when that general call on all of us became a, an effectual call. That's when we were saved. And Paul is saying, as a general rule, stay where you stay where you are when you are saved. Following what I'm saying? If you are circumcised, who's a circumcised person? Jew. So don't become uncircumcised. That's sort of hard to do, but yeah. If you are uncircumcised, don't become circumcised. All right. Remain as you are called. Because circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing. But keeping the commandment of God is what's matter. It's not the circumcision. This is in the church context, right? In the church context, circumcision, uncircumcision. What's God really looking for? The heart. The circumcision of the heart. So, verse 20, extension. Let each one remain in the same calling in which he was called. Were you called while you were slave? Don't be concerned about it, but if you can be made free, use it. If you're called a slave, just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you don't have to listen to your master anymore. Well, I'm a Christian. I, I, have, a high, I have a higher authority I listen to. I listen to God. I don't have to listen to my master. I can do my own thing. And Paul is saying, no, if you were a slave when you were called to be a believer, stay there. Now, if you happen to become free, great, go for it, use it. But, you know, one of the things we, one of the things sometimes Christians have is, just, I get on my little soapbox here a little bit. But as a Christian, you know, sometimes we, in the workforce, you know, we think, well, you know, I don't have to really do a good job for the coming. After all, it's going to be, go to that great big bonfire of, what for Second uh, Peter three it doesn't really matter what I do because you know hey you know th I, this is not eternal you know all I'm doing is you know putting hubcaps on car how eternal can that be you know I'm not a preacher or something so it really doesn't matter how well I do my job what's Paul telling you here he's telling you here and he also tells you in First Timothy or First Thessalonians your work is your ministry. Your job is your ministry. I work as a database administrator, an SAP basis person. That is my ministry. And if I'm an idiot on the job, what gives me the right to tell anybody about Jesus? Don't get this idea that, well, you know, it's a secular and it's, you know, you got to get rid of that concept. Yeah, you honor him. And whatever God has called you to do vocationally, you're to do your best at it and not fall into this. Well, you know, I serve a holier cause and a higher cause, so I don't need to be a good employee. Look, your your job is your ministry. Whatever it is that God's called you to do, you better do your best at it. And, and give God the glory for it. And Paul is saying, look, if you're a slave and you're called, stay that way. Alan, the, the, who were the slaves back then? I mean, we think Most people. Who was, you know... As a teenager, they were kidnapped into work somewhere. Some of them were. Some of them were born into that. The vast majority of, of Roman Empire, yeah, they were actually slaves. They were property. So you're, you're broke or you owe something. You could, be, you could sell yourself into slavery to pay a debt. Um, I mean, that's a choice. In some cases it was. In a lot of cases it wasn't. You could be born into slavery. The vast majority of the Roman Empire was slavery, but... But in, some, in many cases, slaves weren't treated. There are some masters that treated slaves very badly, um, but others were treated very well. You know, doctors, lawyers, 
you know, there are slaves that were doctors, slaves that were lawyers, um, tax guys, probably even some slaves, you know. Um, but, but uh, you know, but lo well, look at Joseph. Joseph was a slave to Potiphar. But what was his responsibility? That's a big, you know, that, that was a lot of responsibility. Potiphar, in fact, Joseph said, Potiphar's entrusted everything in his house but you to me. I said that to his wife. I mean, that's that's all. Now, Joseph couldn't say, well, I don't like working for Potiphar. I'll go work for Joe Blow next door. He couldn't do that. He didn't have the mobility, but he had a lot of responsibility and respect. You know, um, there are some servants that were treated very well. And that was the economic structure of those days. They didn't have like the middle class, like economy and structure that we have. It was a, it was a different way of living. And Paul is just saying, if you're a slave and you're a Christian, stay that way. But if you can get free, do it. But, you know, don't 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 make that your like, well, I'm a Christian now. I have to be free. I have to do that. You don't have to. Um, and then he says, for he was called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freedman. You might be a slave to a man, but God's made you free. Right. Likewise, he was called while free as Christ's slave. You were brought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. Brethren, let each one remain with God in that state in which he was called. Let each one remain in the state. Now, why, why, why did Paul toss this thing into the middle of this whole discussion of divorce and remarriage? What's the three rules of biblical interpretation? Three most important concepts. That's buying a house. You got you got it mixed up. No. The three most important. No. You had it right. Louder. Context, context, con. What's the context? Why would Paul toss this into the middle of a discussion on divorce and remarriage? About relationships. relationships. What, what's he say at the end? What's verse 24? You. Right. All right. So if you were divorced and then you became a Christian, what's the best state to remain in? Unmarried. Unmarried, right? That, 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 that's, again, now look. That's that's the best. That's not we're not talking about permission here yet. We're talking about that's the best state to be in. If you were married when you were saved, stay that way. In other words, what Paul is trying to make the point here is, is that Christianity is not does not disrupt your normal social, normal societal. Um, I want to use. I'm trying to think of the word here. Position, Position identity. If you're a slave when you're a Christian, when you, if you were a slave before you're a Christian, you're a slave after. If you're a master before, you're a master after. If you were, if you were divorced before, you're divorced after. If you are married before, you're married after. Don't think that Christianity is now, oh, good, I can rearrange all kinds of stuff in my life now that I'm a Christian. We'll turn over a new leaf and I'll, that's not what he's, that's, that's not the way to look at it. Stay whatever state you're in when you were called, okay? 
Now, concerning virgins, I have no commandment from the Lord, yet I give judgment as one whom the Lord in his mercy has made trustworthy. I suppose this is good if, for the because of the present distress, that it's good for a man to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be loosed. Are you loosed from a wife? Do not seek a wife. Okay, if you're bound to the wife, who are the bound to the wife ones? If you are loose from a wife, who are the loosed ones? Divorced. It could be the divorced. It could be both, right? You're unmarried. You're, it, it, well, unmarried is divorced. If you're loose from a wife, you're unmarried. Yeah. For the present condition, what's the best thing to do? Stay unmarried. Stay unmarried. All right. But even if you do marry, you have not sinned. Interpret that. Oh, also, this is okay now. No, it didn't say remarried. It says that if you weren't married and then you got married. If you're unmarried, if you're unmarried. And you got married. You're stuck, man. You're stuck. You're nailed. You got it. Sorry, you got it. Sorry. Verse 24. Just All right. You don't even care if verse 24 is there. All right. Look, it says you can. Now, and here's the other argument here. We've already established this one. But here's another argument. And, and and many Bible scholars, this is a good paper topic for you since you're college level. You could write a paper on this. <laughs> they say that if you're if you were if when you were saved, when you became a believer, you were in the state of divorce, Paul's allowing remarriage in this case. Regardless whether it's valid or invalid, if 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 when you became a believer, if if you were divorced and and later on you became a believer as a divorced person, this text would seem to indicate that yes, you can be remarried. Because what's it saying? It's saying you remain in the state you were in, right? When you were called, that's the whole point. But even if you marry, verse 28, if you, even if you marry, you've not sinned, right? So there's another, there's another category here about divorce. Yes, I'm just going to put yes here. This I'm going to say prior to salvation, prior to salvation, Paul seems to indicate yes in that case. You can be, you can be remarried. I think the consistent factor is it's a, it's a non-Christian causing the divorce, whether mm -hmm. it's yourself or your spouse. That's one way to look at it. And what if you're, when you become a Christian, you're living in adultery? Get married. Because you have, you got two imbalances. Yeah. Okay. Get married. Yeah. Now, here's the other thing. Virgins, the, divorce is not applicable in their case. Is it okay for them to get married? Yeah. Yeah. You, you don't sin by getting married if you're a virgin. All right. Now, you got you got to really put your thinking cap on and think through this text. But And, and MacArthur makes an excellent argument for all of these things in the commentaries that none of you are reading but the A students. Um, 
Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they could do that in those days. Verse 28, but even if you marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she's not sinned. Nevertheless, such will have trouble in the flesh, and I would spare you that. I would spare you the trouble of being married. And the whole point there is what? The exigencies of the time, the persecution. You know, Christians were persecuted and, and you know, harangued. And, you know, if you become a Christian and, and, and you marry, you know, you got to worry not only about your persecution, your wife, your kids, you know, it's. And Paul's saying for the present distress, that would be best to just spare you from that. That's his personal view coming through. But if you marry, you're not sinning. It's not wrong to marry. But as I say, brethren, time is short so that from now on, even as those who have wives should be as though they had none, those who weep as though they did not weep, those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice, those who buy as though they did not possess, and those who use this world as not misusing it, for the form of the world is passing away. I want you to be without care. Care of what? Care of a family. Why? Because of the present distressing situation that they find themselves in. He was unmarried, cares for the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. If you're unmarried, you don't have to worry about whether the church meeting goes late. Your wife or your husband's not going to yell at you because you're late. Right? You can buy all the Bible books you want to, and nobody's going to yell at you because you're spending too much time reading the Bible or going to church or anything like that, right? But if you're married, now you got to worry about that. And if you're married, one of, one of your responsibilities, right, as a husband and a wife is to do what? Take care of each other. Take care of each other. That's, that's tossed in there. All right? He who is married cares about the things of the world, how many please his wife. Then he says, there's a difference between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman cares about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and in spirit. But she who is married cares about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. This I say for your own profit, not that I may put a leash on you, but that for what is proper, that you may serve the Lord without distraction. In the, If you want to serve the Lord without distraction, the best way to do that is not be married. But it's okay to be married. So is this the basis upon which the Catholics? No, that that goes back to Babylonian mysticism and and pagan religion. They'll put a they'll put a godly spin on it, but that's not where it comes from. The the nuns, the modern day nuns, used to be the temple prostitutes of the first century. Yep. Now the Catholics probably. Freak on that, but and by the way, the modern day monks used to be the first century gigolos or gigolos or whatever you call them. All right, but if any man thinks he's behaving improperly towards his version, she has passed the flower of youth, and thus it must be, let him do what he pleases. He does not sin, let them marry. If your daughter wants to get married, let her marry. Nevertheless, he who stands steadfast in his heart, having no necessity. But as power of his own will and so determined in his heart that he will keep his version does well. So then he who gives her in marriage does well, but he who does not give her in marriage does better. Back then, how did a woman get married? Her father arranged the marriage. If you give her away in marriage, that's good. If you don't, that's better. Why? It's the present time. A wife is bound by law as long as her husband lives, but her husband dies, she is at liberty to be remarried. To whom she wishes only what? 
in the Lord. But she is happier if she remains as she is, according to my judgment. And I think I also have the Spirit of God. He's just making a general observation. And of course, what's the other category? Well, if your husband dies, your wife dies, you're free to remarry. Okay? So let's recap this. Then I'll throw out a couple of things for you to think about, maybe argue about. We've already, we haven't got her convinced yet you can get remarried, but that's, that's, the Lord's going to have to worry on that. All right. The upshot is, is you, and we could spend a lot more time examining this. MacArthur spends 10 sermons on this chapter dealing with this. And you got me for two hours. So there's a category of unmarried. The unmarried are people who are divorced. Of that unmarried category, there are two basic situations dealt with. One, an unbelieving spouse leaves, in which case you're allowed to remarry. Okay, you're not under bondage in that situation. The other case is that if your divorce occurred prior to salvation, you came to know the Lord after your divorce and, and your life was already, then, then God says you get a fresh start in that case. You can be remarried in the Lord. In other words, you have to know that your spouse is, is saved too? No. Oh, the, the one you're going to marry. Right. All these things Paul is saying, marry, marry a Christian. That's a no-brainer. He says, Marry in the Lord, don't marry outside of the Lord. All right. Um, virgins, it's it's okay if they marry. I mean, now there's no remarriage, it's marriage. Right? They're allowed to marry. The better thing is remain single, but you know, hey, if you want to get married, do it. And if you're married, you're not allowed to divorce. If you do divorce, you remain unmarried. Okay? So we're, and by the way, also, I, I didn't put it up here, but it, I, I should say, if you were married, all right, and your spouse died, okay, then what do you, you can remarry, right? Yes. That's, that's given. You can remarry. Okay? If, you're, if your husband would commit adultery, you're both Christians, mm -hmm. are you, can you remarry in that case? And I should put that case in there, too, right? That's the Lord. That's what the Lord was saying, right? In the case of adultery, divorce is allowed. The There's the whole point. Here's the whole point. The whole point is that the divorce is valid, remarriage is given. If divorce is allowed, remarriage is a given. You can't get remarried. Okay? And then, of course, the other one here is, is, is what you've said. You're marrying, all right? And there is um, adultery involved. And by the way, that adultery can be all kinds of things. We'll, we'll talk about that. I'm going to throw some monkey wrenches here to figure out. Adultery, you are allowed to what? Remarry. Okay. Now let me throw out some. Pretend, pretend you're either a pastor or a counselor or something like that. And a woman comes to you and says, uh, you know, I don't know what to do. My husband has left me for his boyfriend. This happened to a lady, I know. What category is she in? That's adultery. That's adultery. Is she allowed a divorce? Yes. Yes. Huh? Big bracket, adultery. is a big bracket. Okay. So in that case, she would, and, and it's valid. It's a valid divorce. Therefore, she's allowed to remarry. Okay? 
All right, this, here's another Here's another one. Um, a lady comes into you and says uh, to the pastor or to you as a counselor, saying, you know, my wife, my husband's been beating me for five years and he's finally left me. Um, and uh, he says he's not going to divorce me. He just left and went off living on his own. What do I do? Okay. How'd you answer her? He claims to be a Christian, but he's beaten me for the last five years. He, he doesn't go to church. He exhibits no, no evidences of spiritual life. What do I do? He says he's saved. Well, the, I think, you know, and MacArthur brought this out on one of his Q&As, which I thought was a good thing. He says, well, I says, I think what happens there is you bring Matthew 18 in. What's Matthew 18? Discipline. And what's the final stage of discipline? And then what do you treat them as? An unbeliever. In which case, she would fall under what category? She would fall under the unbelieving spouse category. Now, again, let's, let's understand, okay? As human beings, we've mucked this marriage thing up really bad. All right? And so, in that case, would, 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 would it be valid for that woman to remarry? I think you can make the case for that. And let me, let me, let me put one other principle up here that, that some of you, you may have to think about. All right. But you said, you know, the husband wouldn't divorce her. Mm -hmm. So can she divorce him? I think she has the right at that point. Treat him as an unbelieving spouse. All right. If you know if he leaves, I think you can make the case that she is free. You treat him as an unbeliever. You treat him as an abandoned, as abandoning her. Now that's that's. What if she leaves for her own safety? No, if she leaves her own safety, that's being bright. That's being smart. You know, you don't, the Bible does not say stay there and get yourself beat to not be, not be night every night. There's no godliness in that. But I, th I think here's another principle that we need to, to consider. These are the broad categories. There's all kinds of little refinements. But I, I would say this. If you have to err, okay, err on the side of grace. Not law. It, it doesn't. It doesn't mean you ignore the laws, right? Where there's clear, where there's a clear application of this, you go with it. But if there's that gray area, where you know, boy, I'm not certain. You know, I, well, you, you know, right. it could be other things. Um, how should we? How should we? approach this. I would say we need to err on the side of grace, not law. Did Christ ever do that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And all of us in the room, he erred on the side of grace, not law. I'll tell you that right now. But where else did he do it in the New Testament? Well, they brought the woman. And adultery, right? What did the law say? The law stone her and her lover, but they didn't find the man. Yeah. All right. He's probably one of the Pharisees that set her up. Um, and what did Christ do? Did he err on the side of grace or law? Grace. grace. 
I think this is a principle that as Christians, we need to grab a hold on. Err on the side of grace. Now, again, I'm not saying where there is a clear commandment of Scripture, you go with it. But where there is a gray area, where there's a one way or the other, six of one, half a dozen the other, where should you come down on? I, I would suggest we come down on grace, not law. That, that's my, that's me speaking. <laughs> All right. Because a lot of times what we do is we want to, we want to apply these rigid boxes and, and God just doesn't do that. All right. God is gracious. Okay. Give you an unusual example probably of a marriage, divorce, whatever. Okay. Back in the 70s, when, you know, my wife, first wife filed a divorce and I was just practicing. Borderline Christian Roman Catholic, okay? <laughs> All right? And I, you know, I didn't want to do this. I fought the Practicing borderline Christian Roman Catholic. <laughs> borderline Christian, you like that? I fought it. Is that like almost pregnant? I didn't want it, but finally, it was the only, the only thing, I mean, she wanted out, and that was it. Now, about seven years later, I met a Baptist girl. I'm still borderline, right? Okay, and she refused... She said, I will, we, we cannot get married unless you get an annulment. And you know how difficult that was at the time. I spent one year processing to get an annulment for who knows why or what. I mean, the marriage was consummated, right? This church granted me an annulment based on immaturity in the marriage. And as soon as I got that, after a year, I got custody of my two children from the first marriage. And this one that was going to marry me left me because, <laughs> because of that, you know? And I mean, the whole thing was just like a... Farce. I mean, I, later, you got to write a I book started, on this. Yeah, but I started thinking about that because the Roman Catholic Church, it was like excommunication. Days you know? of Bart. Yeah. That's a new <laughs> soap opera. Today we find Bart, a borderline Catholic, evangelical Christian. <laughs> it's not even relevant. Yeah. But I mean, it was a very unusual situation when you look at the marriage, divorce, and, and, and again, the Roman We've, Catholic Church said, oh, no sacrament, you know. Yeah. We have complicated and messed up. God had a perfect design, and we found, just like lawyers, Sorry. Find a thousand ways to break a law legally. We found a thousand ways to mess this up legally. At least to some of us legally. And Paul's trying to bring some structure to this. And the, the overriding, the overarching big picture is God honors, the, God honors marriage. The design is one man, one woman for life. But because of sin, because of sinfulness, that that perfect design sometimes marred and flawed in the way it's acted out in our lives. And there are certain cases where God allows, because of his grace, allows divorce and remarriage to take place. He doesn't give you carte blanche. Marry who you want, you know, find someone else. And, and you need to be really careful. Like, like here's an example of adultery. This thing, whosoever divorces his wife except for the case of adultery... Causes her to commit, causes her to commit adultery. You have a woman come in and says, "My wife's, my husband is um, deep into pornography. Um, he sleeps with his Playboy magazines and hardcore porn and everything else. Um, he's not been intimate with me for three years. What do I do? What do you do? 
I'm not saying I'm not saying I'm saying, look, this is now that now that's not something that they did. Paul thought about. <laughs> but but look, you know, that's this is a reality today. What do you tell that woman? What do you tell that woman? I'm not talking. I'm not talking here about. An occasional thing. Right? We all, we face it, you know, men, we all face that, you know. We're walking through the mall, we go by Victoria's Secrets, we look, wow, that looks pretty. And watch, he committed adultery, I'm gonna, I'm gonna <laughs> divorce the guy. Finally, I got him. You know? That's, that's not what we're talking about here, alright? We're talking about an, abash, uh, an habitual lifestyle. Where emotionally, intimately, whatever you have a, you've divorced your wife. What, what, what would apply? What would you tell a woman? Hang in there. But there was nothing that said a, a believer could leave an unbeliever. Only the unbeliever. Could a believer can leave an unbeliever if, in a case of adultery, that that's that's a trump card. In case of adultery, yeah. Yeah. But the question is, you have to ask yourself. Did, did that wife or that husband, did they commit adultery? Yeah. I, I would have to, I would be hard pressed to make an argument against it. Yeah. Well, I would yeah. also say if they're both believers. Now, now I would, I would also counsel the wife. Right. right. There, there's an issue here. If, if this is exposed and the man is saying, look, you know, I, I really got a problem here. And there's an effort to deal with it, to, to overcome it, to work through it. Look, I would recommend that the woman... Hang in there. I've done that before. I've recommended that 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 you know, hang in there. If he's willing to work through it, hang in there. Don't leave. If you get counseling, hang in there. But if he just says, you know, if he says buzz off and he wants his pornography and he wants his, it's time for you to leave. Are you allowed to get remarried in that case? Yes. I would say, yeah, you are. Same with people that I've counseled people that have been married to like uh, addicts, drug addicts, and every weekend they're gone. I know a lady that has three kids and her husband Friday to Sunday or uh, Monday he's gone. That's a tough he's one now. The crack, he destroys the family. The uh, the house is going to go foreclosure. This has been an ongoing ten year. And, and what and, and what happens? What happens is that would fall under that would fall under the unbelieving spouse leaving. Yeah. Yeah, but don't you have to give him a chance to get help? Yeah, I mean this is. He said he had for this ten years. It's, it's more abusive. Than, yeah. Um, it's the same with the person. And, and again, violence. see again, are are there any hard and fast, rigid no. rules to this? Well, in some cases there are. He did or he did not commit adultery. That, and don't worry about what is is what is means. Depends on what you mean by the word is, I guess. Don't get into that. He did or he didn't. All right. Um, families that the, the father has um, molested the kids, and it's a habitual. Then, then it's it's you know in that case divorce is is you know God does not say stand there and allow yourself to be abused. 
you know. So, so I, but I think within this framework here, and I'm just, we can't exhaust all the discussion on this. But I think within light of the framework here, there, there are things that you can hang your hat on to help you work through these things. All right. And if you have to err, for Pete's sake, err on the side of grace, not law. Well, I was going to say, we know restoration is possible because the biggest thing is to trust. And as you know, in this church, I gave a testimony to all this. Mm -hmm. You work through this. I, I even gave it in the class here a couple of years ago. I mean, it was it was very bad, and I mean, it was restored through the grace of God. I mean, it took a few years, but there's always a, there's always a chance. Now that may not always be, and we even have a ministry going now that I'm facilitating with respect to some of that. But it's it's a tough thing. It's really a tough thing because the trust factor is just wiped out once it's exposed. But, you know, Bart's seen this firsthand. In fact, I remember, yeah, if I'm not letting the secret out of the bag, no, no. Diane, when Diane came to me and she was all tore up about this, my recommendation, she says, you know, I don't know what to do. I'm thinking of divorcing him. And I said, well, I said, if I were you, if he's willing to work through this thing, I mean, really deal with it and work through it and become accountable and, and overcome it, you need to stay with him. She did. It was a very difficult time. It was a very hard time for her to do that, but she did. You know, so so and, and that's what God would have. But now if Bart says, you know, up yours, you know, stick it in your ear, I'm gonna do my own thing, go your you know, then then I would have brought to bear this yeah. this here. All right. It just seems to me that you can use unbelieving spouse or anything. You can use it for uh, porn, drug use, alcoholics, gamblers. If you if you make the case for unbelieving spouse, you utilize Matthew 18 before the whole body when you just treat it as an unbeliever, then it seems to be a loophole for everybody. I would say no, it isn't. It's not a loophole. How do I put it? You're thinking like a lawyer, which is a good thing because you are one. Um, I think I think I think it, it, it comes down it comes down to an individual basis. All right. And you'd have to ask that person, do you want to divorce your husband just because he's irresponsible with money? And you want to treat him as an unbelieving spouse. You know, do you have some ulterior motive going on here? Because the Bible would suggest that she hang in there with him. Now, where it does make a significant exception is in the sexual arena. Okay. Well, well, you know, in this case, you've got a, you've got someone who's on crack cocaine. He's endangering the family. Now, that see that that's some other things. Is this endangering the family? Is it endangering the life of the kids? Is it endangering people? You got something else coming in there. And, and, and although you you might have to treat it on an individual basis, if I was in the the, the spot of having to counsel this woman or this man. I want to spend some time trying to dig in what is their real motivation. Is their real motivation, look, I don't want to leave, but I'm, I'm running out of options. Whereas their motivation is, I can't wait to unload this turkey to get someone else. But in the end, if I have to make a mistake, I make a mistake and err on the side of grace, not law. Because here's a question, what happens 
what do you do if you're if you're the pastor of a church and you got a couple to come in and says you know and they give you their history say well you know we have one thing it says um we we both were christians and uh we divorced our spouses on you know we didn't have a biblical divorce and we we got remarried we didn't know about all of this we're married now what do we do well what would you what would you tell them well, you're married now, and what will God do? You know, God can forgive all your sins, even divorce. You know that. Now, now you would want to make sure that the marriage they have now is a, is a, is a growing, thriving marriage. But look, you know, folks, that's water over the dam. The state you're in, stay there. You know, don't say I'm going to divorce and go back to the first. You, you know, don't don't go down that path. Well, we better leave this topic here. We could talk a lot more on it, but. Alan, just as a monkey wrench, since you're throwing them. Uh, just don't hit me too hard. Gay marriage, of course, is is out. By definition, they'd both be dead. So, yeah, there would be no marriage between two dead people. They'd been stoned. What about uh, in today's society, civil marriage? Civil gay marriage. It's wrong, but you know it's a non-Christian society with uh, in a sinful world. As Christians, should we vehemently oppose? Only that? somebody from Oberlin would ask that question. Yeah, it's at here's here's my here's for all valid intents and purposes. Here's my opinion. I think marriage is a special word that should be reserved. I think we need to fight for that. Marriage means something, not civil unions or what. Marriage is a special word, is a word to depict the relationship between a husband and wife. It's been in society for thousands of years. I see no reason to change it, in spite of what the Democrats want to do and some Republicans. If you want to have civil unions, we have a, a, a constitutional form of government a representative form of government that would allow something like that to be defined by the legislature. If they do that, I don't I don't agree with it. I don't think it's right. But I can't stop it. You know. Um, but where to draw the line. Personally, I, I and, and personally in my life, I just I I don't care what you call the civil union where they just live together. It's still wrong. It's still wrong. And what you see here, this, the danger you see in this whole thing you brought up is the struggle for sinful man to legitimize their actions and criminalize anyone who says that they're not okay. Now, you want to live in a civil union? I can't prevent that. But don't tell me that I have to think it's okay. But that's where we're headed. Well, in Canada, they're trying to pass it as a hate crime. You know, and, you know, we should expect it's the end of the age. What do you expect? You know, we're working our way down. We're scraping our way down to the bottom of the barrel in Romans 1. We've hit the crud at the bottom. We're now scraping through that to go deeper, I think. But, John, you were going to say something. Well, before you get off the marriage, uh, one man, one wife, as in Timothy. How do you relate that? How, what's your understanding of that prior to salvation? Somebody who's serving as a deacon or as a pastor. 
There are some churches that hold that that person is forever. Oh, 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 oh. Okay, okay. Um, Timothy says uh, the the elder of the church must be the husband of one wife. Okay, um, which sort of eliminates women elders, right? Right, right. Right. <laughs> I'm giving her a hard time. Um, it would eliminate female elders, pastors. Um, but the word there means one woman man. So the question is, what does a one woman man mean? Well, I think the way to understand it, and I think um, the, the, the best, when, when you look at all the different sides of that, if Paul is trying to say you're not allowed to be divorced, what do you have said? No. To be divorced. If he says you're not allowed to be, to be a widower, what would he have said? He would have said. He would have said that. Why didn't he say that? Because he had no control of that. Because that's not what he meant. That's not what the Holy Spirit meant. What did the Holy Spirit mean? Well, the, 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 what, what the Holy Spirit means is that man, whoever's your elder, needs to be totally devoted to what? One woman. One woman. All right. Which would... I think preclude him divorcing her because evidently if he's a pastor and he divorces his wife, that sort of blows that, right? Um, but you, you know, there's been a case where a man, a, a great friend of mine, um, one of the one of the four greatest spiritual influences in my life, his divorce, his, his wife divorced him. He was pastor of a church. His wife divorced him. Now is he forever disqualified from being a pastor? According to some, no. according to some, he is. No. Isn't Charles Stanley? Charles But he was remarried in the Lord. All right, because he was abandoned by what I, I would, by all means, I would say, is an unbelieving woman. I don't think she ever was a Christian. She abandoned him. She divorced him. He remarried in the Lord. He had a valid marriage to me. That was no big deal. I didn't, you know, didn't bother me any. But all the Baptists in the church had problems, you know, because they. <laughs> You know they wanted to, they wanted to bring that clause in. Well, I think what Paul, you have to go back. What is Paul trying to get across there? He's trying to get to the, that the elder of the church, the one who is your spiritual leader, needs to be totally devoted to his wife. That means he's not into pornography. He's not into looking at other women. He's not into flirting. He's not a polygamist. He didn't divorce her. He's not messing around on the side. He's devoted to his wife. That is God's primary design. He, he, is, he is the one that models true Christian virtue in marriage the best. And by the way, the, the deacons are the same way. Now, this, this, this lady, uh, this minister's wife, got up in, at the end of church, and she announced that she was leaving her husband, the pastor, because she felt that he was uh, committing adultery. Now, I don't know if it's true or not, because I wasn't there. And she left, and she divorced. Now, can he remarry? After the church she board. She right in the church. Well, you did. She divorced him because she said he was committing adultery. Well, then what you have to do is examine, was he committing adultery or not? If he was, she has a right to divorce and remarry. And by the way, he should not never her. be a pastor again. Can he, can he remarry after she divorced him? I would say no, he can't. He is, he is, the, he is the guilty party. 
Now he probably if he's the guilty party, he probably wouldn't give a rip and he'd get married anyways. But he should never be pastor again. I don't have to say Paul tells us he has no business being a pastor. Then you then you shouldn't be going to his church. Well, you shouldn't have anybody else go to it either. They get mad at us. It's my opinion. My observation is the American labor system. You know what you understand. It's totally messed up, isn't it? In Korea, South Korea, it's adultery. It's a criminal law. Criminal law. Yeah, you find it. I find my wife. I find it. It's adultery. And then call the police. Police catch them. The criminal law. Just put the jail right away. Right on America. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's that's what what, uh, my focus on. What I'm saying is American legal system accelerated the adultery. Yeah. It's all messed up. Yeah. Yeah. That's why Korean immigration people come here. Wow, I like it. Yeah, I can do anything I want. The whole point, the whole point. And then we got to leave this because we got to get into the next chapter. The whole point of this is to try and uphold God's perfect design to the best that you can. Knowing that there are certain valid um, allowances for divorce, in which case there is a valid ability to remarry. Upholding God's original design. And in the cases where it's really gray and you, you need this wisdom of Solomon to straighten things out, do as best you can to look at the motives of the people involved and err on the side of grace, not on the side of law. And, and that's, I don't know how else to say it. You know. Anyways, let's, let's go on to chapter 8. Can I ask just one question? That's a good question. Um, some say he was, some say he wasn't. He had to be married. He may have been married, but his wife died or something like that. It doesn't say. Okay. Yeah. Um, Chapter 8. Now concerning the thing. Nice change of subject. Here's the next question. Yeah. What about things offered to idols? Okay. Here's the problem. Here's here's the way it was in those days. Um, You know, pagan temples were big business, and, and what they did or what people did, is they would, uh, you know, make offerings to the temple. They would bring offerings of food, beverages, all kinds of stuff to the temple. And, of course, what the temple people couldn't eat, they would sell at a discounted price in what they called the shambles. So you could go down to the Corinthian meat market hanging off the back of the temple of Aphrodite or whatever temple it was, and uh, you could buy some cut-rate meat because the priests didn't pay for it, right? It was given to them. Um, they could sell it for a little bit of money. They could make a little bit of money on the side. You could get a little bit better deal on the meat. The problem is that meat was offered to idols. All right. It could be cooked. could have been raw. All right. But it was a good place to get a good deal. All right. And so the whole question comes up. Well, as believers, should I be buying meat at the pagan temple? Am I wrong to do that? Am I wrong to buy meat offered to idols? That was the big question. All right. 
We all know that we have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. What's that mean? It's going to rain. Um, knowledge puffs up. The more you know, the more pompous you are, aren't you? But what does love do? It forgives. It, it, it's, it overlooks. It doesn't try to puff itself up. And if anyone thinks he knows anything, he knows nothing yet as he ought to know. So if you think you know something, you don't know it. But if anyone loves God, this, is, this one is known by him. The basic thing is Paul's, Paul's framing this whole argument of the meat offered to idols and things like that. And look, you know, people allow themselves to get all puffed up with a little bit of knowledge. They're pompous. And that's not what love is. Christ, when he came, did he have all the right answers yes. to everything? And yet, was he puffed up? No. no, he wasn't. And if you think you know something, that means you know nothing. nothing. You ever run to somebody who thinks he knows everything? Yeah. They're irritating, aren't they? Yeah. You can't tell them anything. <laughs> they know it all. Like You can't tell them anything, you know? Therefore, concerning the eating of things offered to idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world and there's no other God but one. So what's the bottom line there? There's no idols. They're nothing. What's it matter? Idols are nothing. We know that. Right? How many gods are there? One. There's no idols. Yeah, demons behind them. Yeah, but... That's that's not Paul is basically saying here an idol a true God, an idol is nothing in the world. It's a hunk of rock, it's a piece of metal. Now, yeah, there may be demonic forces behind that to lend some credence to drawing people away, but the idol itself means nothing. There's only one true God, right? I mean, Isaiah forty through forty eight, God says, Oh, let's bring in another God that can tell the end from the beginning. Um, I looked at you guys, and when you were driven out in captivity, your gods were on the back of carts. What kind of god is that? you got to carry them out of the farm's way. You go out and you cut down a tree, and you cut it in two, and half of it you burn and make a fire and cook food, and the other half you carve and you nail it in the door and call it a god and bow down to it. You know, the absurdity. Um for even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are many gods and many lords, yet for thus there is one Lord. There might be other demon powers. There may be other things. But for us, as believers, how many gods are there? One. God, the Father of whom are all things, and we for him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things, and through whom we live. We only have one God. There's, these idols mean nothing. So as a believer, idols are irrelevant. They mean nothing. However... There is not in everyone that knowledge. For some with conscience of idol until now eat it as a thing offered to an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. So Paul is saying, okay, there's the, the we. Who are the we? We are the mature believers. <laughs> Somebody ought to put him out of his misery, you know. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. 
there, there are the mature believers. What is the mature believer of whom Paul is lining himself with? What do they know? There's one God. Idols are nothing. Big deal. So what if it's offered to idol? I don't care. You know, there's only one God. Whoever offered it, they do everything they want, but it's irrelevant. But someone else says, you know, wait a minute. That was offered to an idol. If I eat that, I'm, I'm being, I, I'm, I'm a, you know, acquiescing to the or acknowledging to the existence of this idol. Or there may be some that were deep into this paganism that were now new Christians, and they kept thinking, boy, you know, I, I can't eat this because because I'm, if I eat this, I'm not. It's like I, I'm, I'm committing idolatry. I, I can't eat this meat. And their conscience being what? Weak is undefiled, is defiled. What's a weak conscience? Yeah. Um, what is your conscience? What is that? Yeah. Does everybody have a conscience? Yeah, just to a degree or another. I always have conscience. Conscience, think of your conscience as a light. It lets light in. Okay? Um, conscience is your view of what is right and wrong. It's what you live by. Okay? Can your conscience be defiled? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, you can sin to the point where sin no longer bothers you. Your conscience is giving you the wrong reading. All right. It's a seared conscience. So like if you ignore the warning, the oil warning light on your car engine long enough, it'll go out and your car will seize up and it'll blow up. Right. You just keep ignoring it. There's a price to it. Right. Um, your conscience can be defiled. A weak conscience is a conscience that does not have the proper programming yet. It's a functioning conscience. But in this case, in this context, Paul is saying their weak conscience makes them think that they're eating meat offered to a God, we know better. There is no other gods, but they're not to that point yet. So being a weak conscience, they think they're eating this meat and they're committing idolatry. Thank you for listening. This podcast was made in part with creative consulting and production assistance by Third Mass Studio. For your production needs, send an email to thirdmassstudio at gmail.com. For other lectures in this series and more biblical media resources, visit theopenword.org.